welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me, of course, is rookie Chris Eshu. How tall are you, Mike? Six foot. See? See? Six foot! Six foot! It's all about the height. The fact that that's how this new character is being introduced, I'm already in love. Like, this guy is just this little diminutive dude who's like, I'm short! And because I'm short, they won't promote me. Like, what the fuck, dude? That's funny, because last time we recorded and we were talking about the mole, I think I said something like, oh yeah, and Levitt, who just wants to be a detective, and I couldn't really remember, and then, yep, that's, I guess that's his character. He just wants to be a detective, folks. When we get to talk about it, we'll talk more about it, but it's funny how it's just like, this dude just wanders in. That's the framing device. It's just a guy wanders into the precinct. Okay. He wants sandwiches, you know? Who doesn't? Who doesn't is right. On this episode, we are talking about three episodes of Barney Miller. We are kicking off season three here. We've got Evacuation, which aired September 23rd, 1976. Quarantine Part 1, which aired September 30th, 1976. And Quarantine Part 2, this is our first two-parter, which aired October 7th, 1976. And this theme song is way closer to the one that I'm used to. It's pretty funky. Especially the end credits. Oh my god. I listened to episode three's intro, and then I listened to some from season two and then season one. They decided that this was the season where they're like, yeah, let's just throw more instruments in here. Let's build it out. Yeah, and then there's that weird like funk thing that they do in the end credits i'll I'll play out the episode with that so people can hear it because it is pretty neat it makes the last end credits from the last two seasons like why not put in the effort there guess maybe they didn't think the show was gonna last i mean fuck the show's on for eight seasons so jokes on them i guess it's so different that we do have to mention it it's not like a just they change the, the title cards or they change the scenes in the intro, which they've already done in season one to two. But the music is such a drastic change. But is this the when you because you've mentioned it a couple times. Is this the theme that you remember? If this isn't it, it is really darn close. But I think this might be it. Because this feels like either the close to final form version or the final form. They will make little changes as they go ahead, though. Yeah, I think pretty much every season, it's a little bit different. I kind of wish more shows did that now. Yeah, you know, I've been re-watching, or sorry, watching, because I gave up on it in the first season. I've been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm. and I liked how they did like different title cards. The one that I thought that did it really well was Fringe, and that they would change out the opener, depending on what season it was. And then they would also do those weird little things before the commercial break or after the commercial break where it would have, I can't remember, like a picture and a symbol or something. And so it all spelled out things as you went through it. I was like, well, that's kind of neat. The show that always that I'm always reminded of with changing of the intro and theme somewhat is Westworld. And I know you're not a fan, but that show substantially changes things. Every season, I know that they change credits, the title credits. I think the theme song maybe is a little different, but the title credits are completely different. I like when shows do that. It doesn't need to be static. I'm not asking for a Simpsons couch gag every episode. I would like for you to be like, this show is continuing to grow because it it shows that you're invested in the show. Evacuation is very interesting to me because at the beginning, they mentioned Dietrich. 
but that's the only time in these first three episodes that they mention Dietrich. He's off doing things. He's doing things. He is back on his home planet. Yeah. Evacuation also introduces a character, what is his name, Officer Callahan, I think it is, who's played by the one and only Kenneth Mars, and I'm like, what the hell, man? You got Kenneth Mars here as a cop? Uh, and then I looked him up, and I was like, he's only on this one episode. What is happening here? Remember when he was a dentist? In what? Wasn't he a dentist in Dreams for Sale? No, he was the Tooth Fairy in Dreams for he Sale. He was the Tooth, yep. It yep. was in the dentist episode. And he's also from Fletch, which is the other, the only thing I really know him from. I mean, I know he's in Young Frankenstein, but I've seen that movie once. Oh, you need to see that one again. And I would highly recommend that you check out the original producers as well. He is just amazing in that. Hungry kids! I was never a member of the Nazi party! I'm not responsible! I only followed orders! Who are you? Why do you persecute me? My papers are in order! I love my adopted country! Oh, beautiful, feel specious, guys, feel ember-wave, so go on you end! I like him in this. He's really good in this episode, and I don't know why I didn't watch Young Frankenstein again after we talked about that Dreams for Sale episode, but hey, I, I need to watch it, because of all the Mel Brooks movies I've seen, I mean, I haven't seen Silent Movie, I haven't seen The Producers, but I've the ones that I've seen, Young Frankenstein is the only one I've ever watched one time. I don't know why it wasn't because I disliked it, I don't think, but I need to get around to revisiting it. But he is so good in this episode. He's so much fun. And like he adds to that level of paranoia, like unnecessary paranoia in a way. But he's so good and he's so deadpan. This episode I thought was really well written because it's it's kind of subtle at first, the way that they're doing this. The title of the episode is Evacuation, as I said, and... Does it start off with, like, it's raining out, and then they start to talk about, like, what if there were a hurricane? hurricane. Yeah, and, like, a typhoon. And it just kind of starts off very subtly like that, and then we find out that Wojo's reading this gray book of emergency procedures, and it is making him more and more paranoid, and his paranoia seems to be rubbing off on everybody else in the station. Including Kenneth Mars's character, who kind of embraces it whole hog, which is fun. I mean... It would not have made sense for any other character in the precinct to embrace the insanity other than Wojo, given that most of the characters, while they are comedic, they don't really stray into the absurd. Wojo is the one who was doing the karate bit in season one or two, whatever the hell it was. So like his character is already pushing that absurdity comedy level a little bit, but giving him someone else to play off of that's not one of the main characters is interesting because the main characters, again, they're all kind of stoic and grouchy old bastards. So it would be less believable for one of them to all of a sudden be very worried about what happens if there's a nuclear bomb that goes off and Ron Glass just goes, Detroit, man, that's how far you have to get. I laughed out loud. I was like, I know Mike's enjoying this line. I know Mike is enjoying this. And given that it's coming from Ron Glass, too, of all people, so. Ron Glass, who is really kind of laying it on a little thicker this season. Uh, like you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, baby, I do. He's doing, the, he's doing the shaft, power to the people. It's, look, hey, you know what? It works, but the problem is he wasn't doing it before. If you're going this direction with a character, that's fine, but don't overdo it and turn it into a stereotype. It's a mofo, but a into the bone, Jamie. 
up. Yeah, I don't need him shucking and jiving. Doing My man. Some... Yeah. <laughs> Booyah. Booyah. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, talking about Farrakhan and everything. I was like, no, like that's he, – he is a smart, affluent African-American police officer. He's not doing the – Horse shit stereotype stuff. It's it's not necessary. He's cool without it. He is cool without it. That afro's fucking cool, man. Come on, well kempt afro. I love in the next episode where it's just like, why aren't you? Why are you so kempt? Yeah, he's like, <laughs> what does he say? Like, down downplay your looks or something. He says something like, you need to stop looking so well kempt. I can see Wojo coming up to Barney and be like, hey, Barn. They got a uh, child sex ring in the basement of that pizza parlor. Oh, yeah. Ping pong pizza, Podesta. Oh, my God. We're going to go down the, to Washington, D.C. and look for him in the basement. I mean, Wojohowicz, again, like, I stand by what I said. Like, Wojohowicz is the character on this show that is less of a character and more of just, like, a, a vehicle through which to tell jokes. And there's nothing wrong with that. Max Gale does that perfectly, but... Well, Jehovah, is not much of a character. Like, I'm sorry if people take umbrage with that, but a lot of the show's situational stuff has gone through Wojohowicz. Wentworth, her whole story was tied to Wojohowicz. A lot of the the two stakeout episodes, he was there. He's the one who gets shot at by the sniper. He's the one in quarantine who's kind of dri- driving a lot of what's going on. Like, I like Wojohowicz. I love Max Gale in this show, but... Give him more of a character and less of just like weird. He's like the center of this basketball team. Just feed him the ball and he'll do all the jokes. Because I mean, they even they even hang a lantern on it in quarantine episode two, which we'll get to. To go back to like a another cop show, Car Fifty Four. Where are you? It's like Barney is like the Fred Gwynn character, and Wojo is like the Officer Tootie or whatever the guy's name is. He's the guy who's going to fall for the get rich quick scheme. He's kind of the heart of the show because we get to see him grow and everything and learn things. And we'll talk about that especially more in the next episode. But he's the Costello to Barney's Abbott. But hey, you know what we did get in this episode is the introduction of a character that we're going to be seeing a lot more of if we can find the show. Big if. At least consistent amounts of the show, which is Denise Miller playing Jilly Papalardo, a small child who wanders into – what is she doing again? Ro- what, what is she robbing someone? Yeah, yeah, she was robbing somebody's house or something or – no, her, it was a store. It yeah, was and a then store. her like foster parents are dead. Because she totally killed him is what it sounds like. Her parents are dead or something. But then the person that she was staying with also died. This is a very ham-fisted way in, in introducing a character into Fish's life that will now become a, a major part of the spin-off television series Fish, which is – it's coming. We, we can't undo that. And she plays the same character. This is not a other – you know, this is not a Todd Bridges situation where Todd Bridges is in Fish too, right? I don't know if he is or not. Yeah, Todd Bridges is in Fish. Also weird, given that Todd Bridges has been in this show before. But yeah, you're right. Probably not playing that same character. And yeah, it's interesting. I was laughing a few times because Fish making uh, cracks about people that live with a bunch of foster kids. And I was like, did they already have the Fish pilot in mind at this point? Coming. On the IMDb, it says Fish meets Jilly Papalardo, a young thief who will eventually star in the spinoff Fish. I don't know. I couldn't find anything when I was looking. Like, I couldn't find any information about what was the onus. I mean, I know we know what the onus for the Fish show was. It's because Abe Vigoda gets the best laughs on the show. 
But I genuinely wonder if like if they went into this episode saying like Jilly Papalardo is going to be a character in Fish. So we need to get her hooks into Fish as, as soon as we can. One thing before we move on, I can't remember who it was, and I feel awful for that, but one of uh, the friends of the show, because we actually do have a few people that listen to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast, a friend of the show reached out and said, hey, just so you know, when Gregory Sierra left Barney Miller, I don't think there was bad blood between him and the people behind the show. And they pointed to a, a show that came out right after Barney Miller, which was called, and this is a horrible name, probably one of the reasons why it failed, AES Hudson Street, which stands for Adult Emergency Services. And it was a hospital show, uh, madcap antics of the employees of an underfunded, understaffed, and overworked New York City adult emergency service hospital created by Danny Arnold, Chris Hayward, Tony Sheehan, and no, stars that no, uh, no, no norm norm was not aboard and stars Gregory Sierra as the lead as the lead. Yes. Wow. Dr. Antonio Tony Menzies Thursday on Cotter. I cheated on Mr. Sloan's test. Freddie puts a little too much English on a lit test and it bounces back. Then fish bounces out of the picture. And nobody has a clue until Fish bounces back on Barney Miller. That old guy really loves his work, don't he? Oh, God. Then... We invite all the girls down to that big linen closet on the third floor. It's time to play doctor on AES Hudson Street. Right after Welcome Back, Cotter, Fish, and Barney Miller. And, yeah, it had uh, a couple familiar faces in there. I have been including Bob Dishy was in there a few episodes. One of our favorites. And I am trying to find it. There was a torrent site or is a torrent site called TV Vault. They had a free leech a few months ago. So I just grabbed a whole bunch of stuff. And then I went to sign in and they're like, your ratio sucks. We kicked you off. And I was like, I just grabbed a bunch of stuff from the free leech. What the hell, man? (laughs) So now it's. How dare you do what you were supposed to do and they let you do it. Now you need to seed for a few months. Come back in six months and let us know. That's what they said. Yeah, seriously. Holy so I'm shit. like, that's the only place I could even think that, like, because that's where we got those two episodes of Fish Season 2, the mysterious Fish Season 2. That's funny. It, it, it would strike me more as people are leaving this show to go to their own shows. Because uh, um, Linda Lavin left the show for her own show. Fish is leaving his this show for his own show at the end of this season, right? Man, I mean, look, it's a it's a sitcom with an ensemble cast. I guess if someone is a standout, the network is like, give this man or woman a show. I can think of other, let's call them Cedar shows, like All in the Family. Edith's cousin, Maud, she gets her own show. Maud's housekeeper, Florida, she gets her own show. Their neighbors, the Jeffersons, they get their own show. So it's like... Not the main cast. I mean, yes, I, I'm pretty sure Gloria got her own show, but that was like way, you know, it had been on the air for quite a few years. It's not like season two, season three kind of thing. It's not like all of a sudden Mike Stivick gets his own show or something, but it's kind of weird when it's our main characters like this, like a fish, like a Chano, and it's just like, Wait, what, what is going on? But again, this was not him playing Chano. He was playing somebody else. But he's essentially in a hospital version of Barney Miller. Sounds like it. And it looks like it only lasted for six episodes, so... Should have stayed on Barney Miller. 
I guess. I don't know. Maybe if you didn't want to work on Barney Miller, he didn't want to work on Barney Miller. He was good on Barney Miller. That's the problem. And yeah, he brought a necessary element. Uh, like I said, we'll see when Dietrich shows up, how that's going to play out with this new group of folks. And then, of course, sounds like Ron Carey is going to be there. And then we get Luger, I think, in every episode. It's Luger. He's Luger. Here. Luger. Luger is here. Yeah. What's up with James Gregory showing up? It's nice to see him. Only because we get to, A, get the Luger, Luger alert on this podcast, which is the greatest thing. Uh, but also, James Gregory is good in this show now, so I'm okay with it. And I really like that. Again, he's more the butt of the joke. Like, the whole thing of – I talked about how this episode is about rumors and how we keep, like, escalating this whole thing of it becomes like, oh, we might have a hurricane too. What happens if a nuclear bomb falls and we got to turn on this siren and the sirens going off. And Luger is also part of this whole thing with rumors because he's all of a sudden like, you know, oh, you heard about that cashier at the restaurant? Well, she's almost divorced and blah, blah, blah. And he just like lays out this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, Luger is – um, Lu- I mean, look, I'm gl- we, we talked about this on the last episode. I'm glad that James Gregory is getting a bigger part in this show – because he's gone from antagonist to part of the group. And they're introducing him more and having him show up more, which means they're doing more to make him part of the group. Funniest line of this episode for me was a Jack Sue line. I understand something's not up to par in these premises. We need one of them bulbs in the bathroom. Why? Did you lose something? <laughs> I'm ruining my eyes reading with this flashlight. You know, they do look sort of funny. You shouldn't squint. This isn't a squint. This is a squint. I mean, we know he's going to be passing away in the run of the show, and I'm not looking forward to that moment because he is so fun. He is such a good part of this show that I'm glad that he didn't leave like Gregory Sierra did. And it's it's nice because, you know, again, these different personalities in the show playing off of one another is the draw here. I'm like trying not to race ahead to the next episode because, again, he gets a really good part in that next episode. Some great lines. The next two episodes are really wild, given the title, huh? Yeah. yeah a little close to home, they might say. Yeah, after 13 months, I can... Really, you know, I, I look at them being quarantined for one night and I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Real hard, huh? It's really tough. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Harris. Your plans on fucking that lady because she, you took her to a concert or whatever. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Your weekend was ruined. I haven't celebrated my birthday in like two years now. Neither of you. <laughs> Not anyone after March 13th, you know, last year hasn't, so... My entire 48th year, just like that. When you turn 30, it's supposed to be some grand thing. And it was like, now you're locked in your house, dickhead. That's the funny thing about this quarantine episode is like, I guarantee you, Mike, if we had been doing this podcast and there had been no pandemic, we would not have given this episode a second thought. We'd be like, this is a funny episode, but whatever. But now it's like, you guys are fucking around for 24 hours? Really? That must be real scary. Yeah. I will say, though, they all looked miserable. I swear to God, what is it with this show putting their actors through the paces? They all looked like they were on a set that was 100 fucking degrees. Just especially when Barney, at one point, he turns around, he's got all this back sweat, and it's not even like a laugh moment. It's just, 
oh my god, this guy is sweating to death, and Jack Sue looks miserable. They all look miserable. The only one, of course, like I said, who doesn't look miserable is Harris. Well, and then Harris has the, like, a weird sleep-talking moment? Yes, that was bizarre. (laughs) Just going through and reading everyone in the room. Like, oh, Barney, you, what is he talking about? How, like, how compassionate Barney is? Stop being such a pushover, you big bitch, is essentially what he's saying. Like, oh, my lord. And then he's like, oh, oh, Yamana with your fucking coffee. Like, oh, like, oh, dear God. It, it was it was weird because it never been mentioned before, which is kind of fun. It was like a good surprise. It's an interesting episode. I mean, I don't think we could talk about one without the other since it's a two-parter. But the entire episode is Wojo brings a guy in who has pox of some kind. And given that it's, what, 70 Five, seventy-six. Yeah, they can't get an immediate answer as to is it chicken or small, and so they quarantine in the precinct. The entire building quarantines. Who who all is here? Let's see. There's Ray Stewart and Jack DeLeon as the two gay men that we've seen before, Marty and Daryl. There's a a prostitute as well, and then um, you know just for added fun, there's James Gregory. It's Luger. 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 And this is, like you said before, this is where we get Ron Carey showing up as Levitt. Randomly. <laughs> Completely out of the blue. <laughs> it just shows up. Just literally the dude just, he, he pulls a Mike moment from the other season where it's like, hey, this guy Mike, what are you doing, Mike? Nice to see you, Mike. Now it's just like, hey, I'm just here. I've inserted myself into the show. Now you have to deal with me. Yeah, and and look, I mean, he doesn't show up in the first part, but he shows up in the second part. And he's a welcome addition. He is a welcome addition to this show. He brings a different kind of comedic timing to the group. But he's not in the next episode. I'm yeah, I was wondering if they were shooting these or or showing them in order. Uh speaking of other conversations I've been having, I have a friend who's rewatching all of MASH and he was watching them in broadcast order and he's like, "Hey, they start talking about this clamp that they invented, but then the episode where they invent the clamp isn't for like another five episodes. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, it sounds like one of those situations. So I went, I did some research, and I was like, okay, here is the proper order. I know all I know all too well about the proper order of things with The Prisoner, where it's there's five different variations on how you can watch the show. It's like, no thanks, I'm good. I would like one or two, maybe, but not five different ways of watching it. I never caught that the episodes of uh, Firefly were out of order. I gotta admit that. Firefly's not good, so it doesn't matter. I'm glad we're in agreement about that. Okay, good. And I didn't like Firefly before Joss Whedon was outed as a piece of garbage. Firefly is one of those shows that I just don't get it. It's good, but not great. And frankly, the only reason I would watch it is because it has some actors I like in it. Not the situations or anything else. I liked it. And yeah, I thought it was a pretty solid show, but I didn't cry when it was over. No, and I didn't want a movie. I don't think it. And I think the people who liked the show didn't want that movie after they saw it. So I actually liked the movie better than the show. I just don't remember the movie doing much that the show didn't do. Like it killed off some characters. See, I actually saw the movie before I saw the the show. And that might have been my introduction to Chewy Tell Edgy for as well. 
Is he the bad guy in that movie? Yeah. He's oh, like wow. the no matter what happens, I'm going to get this job done kind of thing. Sure. I like that type of bounty hunter type character, which I really appreciate. Very Lee Van Cleef from um, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And who doesn't love Chiwetel? I mean, what was the last time he was in anything? God. Doctor Strange? No, no. He was in one of the first films of the pandemic, sir. That film Locked Down. Right. The With Doug Anna Lyman Hath- film. Anne Hathaway. Anna Hathaway, as I was about to call her. Was it good? Uh, no. No, it wasn't. Oh, good. Well, I don't have to watch it. Let's see. Oh, he was also in that old garden movie, the one with uh, Charlize Theron, but I barely remember that because Hmm. it was so memorable. I just remember him as the good guy who becomes a bad guy in Doctor Strange because he plays Mordo. And look, I would love to see him in those Doctor Strange movies as Carl Mordo because Mordo is the villain that Doctor Strange deserves. Ron Glass is good in that, which is fun. Ron Glass's character isn't given a very uh, proper send-off, but... You know what I I do appreciate about this two-part episode? Is it just cuts right to it in the second part. There's not even an intro. It's just like, uh, uh, here's the the Barney Miller to the episode. It's like, okay, you need a lot of time to tell the story. And I, I would say the second part of this is stronger than the first. Because I think the second part allows for the characters to breathe a little bit more. I think I might have mentioned a few episodes ago the idea of the um, the elevator episode. This is very much like an elevator episode. Oh, yeah. Bottle. 100% a bottle episode. You have disparate characters locked in the precinct together. That's pretty cheap. But interestingly, of all the character interactions, the most memorable to me wasn't surprisingly fish flirting heavily with the prostitute but it was the whole thing of maury and mr driscoll and then luger and their interaction between the three of them that was like the centerpiece for me of this i agree and it also i think points out that luger is gay and luger is kind of doing the wojo thing like wojo was still like doing the like i don't really want to shake your hand kind of thing and Barney even does like a little like eye roll as he's showing them into his office, which I was kind of upset that he did. But basically, they gave the Wojo homophobia to Luger, and yeah, it did sound like he might have had some, uh, you know, some lavender in his past. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I will say to another thing I did not appreciate was when James Gregory asks how Lyndon, like, why are they gay? I expected a more diplomatic answer from Barney than like this weird bullshit pseudoscience. I mean, look, I know it's the 70s. It's fine. Mike loves when I bring this up. But as someone who's gay, bisexual, uh, thank you being bisexual is gay, motherfuckers who deny it. It didn't offend me. I was just like, this is an opportunity. It it felt like an opportunity that they normally take to elevate Barney's character. And that didn't feel like Barney's dialogue even. Barney is normally such a calm and steadying presence in the precinct that him saying those kinds of things was like, of all the things, you were preaching tolerance with Wojo when they were here before, and now you're buying into the bullshit? Like, what? I don't under... It didn't make any sense to me. I was just looking up to see when the DSM removed homosexuality from uh, its list of mental disorders. In 1973, the American Psychiatric Association asked all members attending its convention to vote on whether they believed homosexuality to be a mental disorder. 
5,854 psychiatrists voted to remove homosexuality from the DSM and 3,810 to retain it. So basically 6,000 to 4,000 was the vote. So luckily the right side won on that, but uh, they didn't actually remove it from the DSM until 1987. Ah, so that's where they're getting this from. 1973 is 4,000 of them still believe that uh, it's it's uh, mental illness. So 1976 TV show, I'm sure, is not going to be very enlightened. No, but again, it, it didn't have to not be. It just chose to be. But again, I, I'm not I'm not sitting here and, and waving my flag and angry. I, I frankly don't care because, again, it's it's a show from 1976. The fact that it's not just calling them homos is is thankful to begin with. I mean, realistically, this show, given the characters and given the makeup of the characters on the show, I'm surprised that they haven't gone there, but I'm glad that they haven't, and it doesn't seem like they ever will. Because the one character who could have realistically said it doesn't in this episode. Well, it was really nice seeing Maureen Driscoll show up again, and I was glad it's like, oh, wow, this is a continuing character. How great is that? And I did like the whole thing of Maury wanting... Barney to be a character witness. Yeah, of course. And he's like, I've had you arrested six times. <laughs> and what was, I forget, what was he being arrested for? Uh, shoplifting in the first one. I think the second time is when he brings Driscoll with him to complain about the cop who was shaking down gays at uh, right. the uh, gay bar. Right. Yeah. Right. That's right. So I don't remember Maury being in trouble more than that, but. Um, I like Ray. Ray Stewart's really good, right? He can kind of burn down the house with just a, a look, you know, or a glare. I was very happy I for like that. I like music. You know, when he said that to Gregory, Gregory's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I govern a little garden to grow up in the moon delightful. That's disturbing? No, not at all. I love music. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I just uh, didn't want to... Such a friend over there might be asleep. Oh, I'm not asleep. Well, good. Good. I didn't want you to doze off under the wrong impression. I don't know what you mean. Oh, yes, you do know what I mean. Back there before, when I was talking about the three sweetest cops, greatest cops that ever lived, I saw the look you gave me when I said how much I loved those guys. But I meant that in a man-to-man way. Do you understand the expression, man-to-man? Very well. When you have these characters locked in together, it does provide some interesting distractions and some interesting interactions that we, you know, now we're probably never going to see Marty and Driscoll again, given where they're going at the end of this episode, which is to California. We're led to believe. One, I like how they're just like, oh, well, this happened in California, and now it's safe for us to go there. I was like, oh, that's cool. Though they have to point out there are a couple of bad areas. But, spoilers, Marty does come back. He comes back um, in 77 and 80 and 82. So he comes back three more times, including for a part three episode of the show. I am very curious to hear the rest of Marty's story. Me too, because of all the returning characters, he's been my favorite one. One of the episodes he comes back is the literal final episode. 
Landmark Part 3 is the final episode of the show. How about Driscoll? Do we know if he comes back? He does come back two more times. He comes back in 80, where Marty comes back as well in that episode, and then he comes back for the final episode of the show. Which is kind of weird that there's that big of a gap, given how much they've shown up in the first three seasons. This is what, third appearance for Marty, second for Daryl Driscoll? Yeah, I think you're right. But I guess spread over a season and a half-ish. That's still a lot. That's more than anyone else in this show, right? Definitely more than Mike. Well, good old Mike. What's Mike up to? Is he going to return for the final episode? Wouldn't that be awesome? I would laugh so hard. <laughs> all of the all of the the disappearing uh, patrol people. Kenneth Mars comes back. Everybody comes back. Oh, hey, guys. What have you been up to for the last five seasons? Nothing. Yeah, there was one guy who showed up in at least two episodes before. It was like Officer So-and-So and like whatever his... His name was was the actor's name. I was like, okay, yeah, he'll be he'll be a regular part. No, nope. nope, nope. But I will say, you know, for the for the show's first two parter, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I definitely did. And yeah, having the subject matter be a quarantine in the summertime. And again, you know, I I don't understand why this show puts its actors through the ringer so hard, but it really does. Like the water episode looked fucking miserable, and this episode looks fucking miserable. It looks straight up miserable. Like I don't know if they did have the set heat on or if they were just you know dousing up the costumes with fake sweat, but they all looked miserable and it worked. There was a movie High and Low, the Kurosawa film, and that was supposed to be shot in the dead of summer, and they shot it in winter. And you get to see how good the actors are at acting. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> Especially when they were outside. And it's just like, oh, okay. I remember like the Mifune, uh, you know, like I, I don't think he was mowing the lawn, but he's outside. And I'm just like, oh, okay. He looks very hot right now, but it was freezing. Free, they were freezing their asses off, but they're good actors. And similarly in this show, like they're good actors. I don't know if they were actually miserable on set, but they looked it. They really looked it. And I think my favorite gag in the entire episode, the two episodes, is Jack Sue drinking the coffee and going, oh, that's how good coffee can be. Driscoll takes the pot and all the cups and scrubs them out. <laughs> and and Sue's, the Jack Sue's like, uh, you know, oh, the, the mugs look different. And he's like, oh, yeah, I scrubbed all the mildew and mold off oh, of it. He's like, oh, I, th I thought that was the pattern. The thing with Jack Sue and the coffee, like, it is, it's great, obviously. I don't think either one of us are going to disagree about Jack Sue and the coffee bit. But this is the first episode where I'm like, it's part of this episode that I remember. It's now his identity. It's him in the open. Like, we, we didn't talk about that. Harris now gets his own title card and Jack Sue gets his own title That's card. Right. They were sharing before. And there he is with the coffee pot. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah. That's your thing, man. I guess that and that and, and we were, I forget who I was talking with this about, but the whole idea of like TV shows, the character finds a, like a catchphrase and they just beat it into the ground. I hope it doesn't become that here. That's a, as we like to say, it's a slippery slope. I mean, that coffee pot is pretty close to his desk. So, you know, he can, he can make it over there for the prop pretty quickly. Just everybody in this show. Abe Vigoda hitting on the prostitutes. Great. Just everything about this episode. It, these are, these are two of the better episodes we've watched in a very long time. It is interesting because, like I said, I, I could see Luger kind of doing that Wojo role. So I'm curious if he's going to start to pick up on some more of those, like, dumb Wojo moments and then 
the Wojo character will somehow evolve a little bit away from that, start to get maybe a little smarter. Again, the Wojo character is a little stagnant. I mean, the the thing with Wentworth is fine, but she's gone now. So, and she's not coming back at all. Yeah, it feels like he needs to have a thing other than being dumb. <laughs> or being Polish. <laughs> right. That's my last name. His thing is his last name, and that's the joke. The joke is his last name. That's the joke. Or the kung fu that he was doing, or whatever the fuck that was. That thing that exists solely for the That fucking- is immortalized. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing that's immortalized in the intro to the show that makes more sense in the intro to the show than it does in the actual episode that it's in. Hey, why are you in that karate gi? Because they said it was going to look funny as a freeze frame for the intro. I do miss that, by the way. I like. I know we were talking about intro credits for shows and stuff, but TV shows doing those freeze frames is so funny. Like it's oh yeah, it just it hits that nostalgia just right. Somebody took all. Of, I think it was chips. They took like five seconds before the freeze frame and they just made a montage of like every episode with those first those last five seconds of the episode and then they freeze and i'm just like this is just brilliant absolutely loved it wouldn't we both agree that the ultimate send-up of the freeze frame is in the naked gun tv series if you don't know what we're talking about it is it's comedy gold it is the smartest way that they could tell a joke with the most banal of setups that whole TV series, Police Squad, the TV series, what, six episodes? Oh, yeah, it's like nothing. Well, and you're talking about how you remember things so well when you turn on a show. That was one of those for me because I was just – I ate that up when I was a kid. I was just like, yes. And then I rewatched it with a friend of mine a few years ago, and I was like, oh, this joke. And I just like started spitting out – it makes it easy, too, because they basically recycled 90% of Police Squad into the first Naked Gun movie. <laughs> Except for the so, – so the funny thing is they never redid the freeze frame gag. I love the, the criminal who's like realizes that everybody is frozen, so he like just sneaks out of the frame. <laughs> I, I, as much as I were kind of singing the praises of the freeze frame of the show, the intro to that show is still great, where you have random actors just showing up in the intro, and they're not going to be in the actual show just to like do a sight gag. The Shatner one is the one that sticks out to me. Yeah, I can't remember who played Abraham Lincoln, but I know, I think, what, today was his assassination day or something? Somewhere I saw John Wilkes Booth trending on Twitter earlier, and I thought, finally, we're going to cancel John Wilkes <laughs> Booth. They're canceling John Wilkes Booth now? <laughs> Cancel <laughs> John Wilkes Booth, guys. <laughs> the fuck? Yet another actor know, gone another astray. Another person canceled by the left-wing media. <laughs> well, you know, I am a lefty loon. Yeah, I've heard so. it. You're a lefty loon, dude. <laughs> What a loony tune you are, bro. But my favorite one was when somebody takes a pot shot at Lincoln and the guy turns around and he's got a gun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And Rick Hamilton as Abraham Lincoln. If you've never seen Police Squad, it is funnier than this show, but it's in that same vein of like showing cops. Showing cops in comedic situations, because most cop television shows, at least now, zero comedy, (laughs) none, played straight and serious. I'm not sure a comedic cop show really works anymore. The last one I can really think of was Castle, speaking of Nathan Fillion. Mm. And that was 20, 30% like Law and Order 
maybe 10, 20% CSI or Bones. I guess Bones had a little comedy in there as well, but definitely not as much as Castle. Neither of those shows have, like, collared cops, though, right? She's like an FBI agent, and in Bones, they're like, what, FBI or some made-up letter organization? Booth, speaking of John Wilkes Booth, Booth is, he's an FBI agent. She just works for the whatever, some sort of uh, museum. Fake organization. Yeah, and then, yeah, uh, Castle is filling in as a writer, Richard Castle, and wanting to, to shadow a police officer. Do they ever make the joke of Dick Castle? I don't know. Like, your name's Richard Castle, Dick Castle? That's a real person. <laughs> I can't remember if his real name is Richard Castle in that or not. His real name. His character's name. His character's name. I just say, like, look, you know, we're not we, – we've already gotten a little political. We don't want to go down this path too far. But I just don't think the climate is right for this kind of show anymore. For better or for worse. Unless we can get rid of those few bad apples that seem to be in every single police force. Yeah, just the few. Just the few. Yeah, just the few. The few, the proud, the bad apples. They forget the rest of the phrases, spoil the bunch. <laughs> oh, it's just one or two bad people. But the point is that the other ones don't do anything about it. So therefore, they are, by the transitive property, also bad. I saw a really good tweet last night. It was like, people are always talking about when cops shoot people. What about the 18 days last year where they didn't shoot people? Yeah, what about that? Let's put a, let's put a bow on that. But again, like, you know, when we talk about Barney Miller... It's a show that exists in a time where we did have the stuff going on. Let's not pretend like it wasn't going on because it's been going on this whole time. But public sentiment has changed. And I'm not sure anyone would want to be watching a show like Barney Miller anymore. And that's unfortunate. But you can go watch Barney Miller and get a sense of, and I know you're going to laugh at this, Mike, simpler times. We are forgetting about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I think it's called, though I want to say that that got canceled recently. Uh, I think it's still around, but I guess Brooklyn Nine-Nine is the best example. I've never seen it, but I've heard good things. I've seen maybe three episodes. I'm not an Andy Samberg guy, so... I'm very much into a lot of the other people that are on that show, but Sandberg is such a major part that, yeah, if you don't like him a lot... Or love him. Yeah, that show wasn't for me. Even with Terry Crews and Andre Brower on there, I was still just like, Mm-mm. You know who they should add to that show to really make it good? Pete Davidson. I think I just threw up in my mouth I a little just, bit. I think I just threw up in my mouth for all of us. <laughs> God. But I guess, yeah, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a good example. But again, it's like few and far between. I mean, think of how many cop shows there are that aren't that. It's more serious Law & Order SVU, CSI. The list is longer than than it is short for the shows that are taking the cop thing and the law enforcement thing seriously. It is interesting, though, to think about how law enforcement has been portrayed in TV for so long. I'm trying to think of what came before Andy Griffith. But it's I'm like, because tra- he was I'm, what, a sheriff, right? Yeah, but I'm sure there were other shows, probably other even comedy shows about cops. Well, I mentioned Car 54, Where Are You? But I'm trying to think of some others like even before that. Keystone Cops. Well, Keystone Cops, they were kind of the butt of the joke. But that was still a humorous portrayal of law enforcement. That's very true. Yeah, and I know for sure that there were other um, silent films that were like that. But I'm trying to think of like television, radio. But yeah, no, it's right. It has gone all the way back. We've always had these comedic portrayals of of police officers. 
and and now it's like it's neither here nor there. Frankly, we still have this show. You can still watch however many episodes of this show exist. I mean, it's not like you're hard up for content for funny cop stuff because one of my favorite movies of all time is Naked Gun, and that's about a funny cop. It's not played for laughs. I mean, there are jokes in that movie about him murdering people and like, I found the evidence in the Kilner case. He was innocent. Frank, we killed that man five years ago. Oh, and he just like throws it away. Like that joke, it's hilarious. But at the same time, like. Well, there's that running gag in the show in Police Squad where every time he talks about like. I don't know, some women went missing or something. Uh, you know, women went missing from a laundromat and you see him driving and he's got laundry baskets in the back seat. And it's like, oh, okay, what are you trying to tell us here, show? <laughs> so it's pretty like he's a, he, he may be a serial killer. That makes sense why Frank Drebin is such a bumbling idiot. It's because it turns out he's actually a serial killer the entire time. Well, Dexter. I didn't laugh a whole lot at Dexter. It was more that kind of dark humor yeah there's one called prodigal son right now with michael sheen that's kind of funny and murdoch mysteries is kind of funny but that's all like set at the turn of last century is prodigal son the one where it's like his dad was a serial killer yes mm. i've seen episodes of that randomly at the i don't know places i used to go that had tvs on i don't know what that's like <laughs> to go someplace <laughs> with television <laughs> to sit <laughs> Tell me the last time you went somewhere and watched a television. Oh, I can't even. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that shit. How we used to like sit at dinner and if you were at like a bar, you would maybe catch the game while you were eating. Boy. Restaurants. Oh, that too. (laughs) That too. (laughs) But yeah, quarantine. What a quarantine, right? Luger coming in with holding the sign. What are you guys doing with these signs to being some sort of jokers around here? And it's like, <laughs> okay, thanks. Well, <laughs> welcome in, Mr. Dum Dum. Yeah, exactly. This was really fun, though. I really liked these two episodes. Evacuation's okay, but quarantine one and two are pretty good. Yeah, I'm very curious to see where we go after that with this season. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to to dive into season three. Me too. And hey, we get Landsberg in the next episode. So fucking hey, there you go. And Levitt comes back eventually, I guess. I'm excited to see Landsberg show up, though, because I really liked him on the show before. So adding him into the whole cast should be interesting. I liked him both as the corrupt priest and as the detective. Yeah. And the other thing, the final thing I want to mention, because you mentioned the bottle episode, I think I like these episodes so much because we finally get to get everybody in one place at one time for an extended period of time. Though they still manage to focus on certain areas, like the conversation here, the conversation there. So it was kind of nice. But yeah, you're right, because it's usually like Fish isn't here because he's in the can or he's out grabbing a collar. There was one part, and I can't remember if it was in evacuation – I think it was an evacuation where they go to arrest Jilly, the foster daughter. Right. They left and came back within seconds. Either that or time stopped and I was abducted by aliens. <laughs> Do you check your watch? I didn't check my watch. I don't wear a watch. Uh, that's fair. I, <laughs> I have a watch, but you wouldn't be able to tell. You have to wear that's why you wear a watch, man. So if you're ever abducted by aliens when this shit stops, or you put it behind someone's car tire. 
Oh, there you go. Down at the Mrs. Da- Mulray. Da- yeah, down at the uh, down at the what is it where the fucking corrugated uh, fence with the water shooting out? Put it behind the car. You know how big of an idiot I am. I have no idea what that was in reference to in the movie. I don't know why he did that. That was to see what time they left. Okay, I'm an idiot. That movie was so dense, man. Like, yikes. Could also say because he holds up the two stopwatches mm-hmm. or pocket watches, so it's very much like the damaged one, the not damaged one. Evelyn Mulray's damaged eye versus her not damaged eye, the damaged eye that she gets shot in at the end of the film. Spoilers. Boy. You know, then you can also look at the broken glasses that are inside of the pond. There's all of this whole idea of like two things and one is damaged. It's very smart. Almost like it's one of the best scripts ever written. Robert Towne, he's a smart motherfucker. Until he wrote the two Jakes. (laughs) Can't win them all. (laughs) At some point, he became Tom Cruise's property. So like everything that Tom Cruise worked on starting at some point, he would come in and do uncredited rewrites on all of it. Yeah, and he did the first two Mission Impossibles, right? I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank John Walker for our theme song. And Chris, I want to thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Look, I love doing this. I I love talking to people about things like this. I mean, this show is – I've never seen it. It's a fun show. You should watch it. Maybe not watch every episode because, again, it's not really a story-driven show, so you don't have to. But look, I didn't know what to expect going into this, and we're in the third season of the show, which is kind of nuts. But I've been enjoying it. This has been a good ride. It's been a fun show so far, and season three is off to a banger of a start. And Chris, what are you up to over at the Culture Cast? We're talking about movies that I have never seen this month. You've never seen? I've never seen. Lots of really well-known movies, though. We were kind of talking about Chinatown, uh, Do the Right Thing, Citizen Kane. You and I are going to be talking about Citizen Kane later in the month. I hear it's an okay movie. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I heard it's man, it's a piece of shit from what I've heard. There's not enough action. Very poorly made, yeah, too. No slow-mo. I want to see the Wells cut of Citizen Kane. Well, they are looking for the Wells cut of uh, Ambersons again. They, they just are. sent some explorers down to Brazil. I just heard that in the Citizen Kane Wells cut, Martian Manhunter shows up at the end. Well, it makes a lot of sense, too. It's it's circularity. It's circular. It's like poetry. It rhymes. But yeah, that's where you can find me. And uh, that's culturecast.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Christmas Claus. What about you, Mike? Where can people find you? As always, you can find me over at The Projection Booth, which is available at projectionboothpodcast.com. Thanks, everybody, again, and please be sure to go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Google now, apparently. They're, like, starting to catch up with iTunes as far as numbers. Yeah. Like, I think the last time I looked, 3% of people listen to podcasts on Google. (laughs) Three? It's jack shit. 68% on, on iTunes. 68%. They are the big bear. Smash that subscribe button. Punch that like button right in the face. Donkey punch me. And skull fuck that review button. (laughs) Yeah, give us a good review.